Get ready to jumpstart your scientific career with practical advice on being a successful and contented scientist. Each episode of the Happy Scientist podcast delivers hands-on, actionable steps you can take to ensure you stay happy, focused, and satisfied in the lab. Available on all popular podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button and start your journey towards a more fulfilling scientific career. the Happy Scientist Podcast. Each episode is designed to make you more focused, more productive, and more satisfied in the lab. You can find us online at bitesizebio.com slash happy scientist. Your hosts are Kenneth Vogt, founder of the executive coaching firm Vera Claritas, and Dr. Nick Oswald, PhD, bioscientist, and founder of Bitesize Bio. Hello and welcome to the Happy Scientist podcast from Bite Size Bio. If you want to become a happier, healthier and more productive scientist, you are in the right place. I'm Nick Oswald, the founder of BitesizeBio.com and with me is the driving force of this podcast, Mr. Kenneth Vogt, my friend, mentor and founder of the coaching company Vera Claritas. Today's episode is called How to Foster Imagination. So let's bring in the man himself. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. So uh, I want to start this off by pointing out to you folks how very fortunate you are. There are so many jobs out there, so many careers out there where imagination is not just unnecessary, it is frowned upon. They don't want you being imaginative. They don't want you thinking outside the box. They don't want you being creative in any way, shape or form. For instance, um, I know some folks who drive trains for the for the uh, San Francisco Bay Area rapid transit system. At least these trains are pretty complicated and and pretty impressive. You know, there's a there's a big master computer system for this that that decides what trains are running on what tracks and what which train is going where at all times. And they're a good system. You know the their trains are on time. I mean, it's not France, but it's good, you know. <laughs> but you you just can't, as a train operator, you can't do anything yourself. And in fact, mostly that train is being run by the central computer. To call you the train operator is almost a misnomer. You're you're more like the the occupant of the front of the front cabin. That's about it. And you can override things in the case of an emergency, but but not very easily and only in emergencies and there's no creativity about it it's you it follows the schedule it follows it opens and closes doors it's it it travels on tracks and it tells you what speed you're gonna go so you might want to get to the next station faster too bad the system says otherwise <laughs> but that's not how it is for you you get to be creative so the the other side of that then is like, uh-oh, you're required to be creative. Well, how are you supposed to be creative? Well, you got to have imagination. And imagination is one of those things that, that connects well with what we talked about in the last episode. It often is in the realm of what you don't know you don't know. So how am I supposed to be imaginative? How do I make this happen? So that's what we're going to talk about today. 
So before I launch into this, I'll give you a chance to interject if you'd like, Nick. I, I like that, the way that you, um, you segued from the last episode to this one. Um, <laughs> how, to, how do you access what you, what you don't know you don't know? You do that through imagination and opening up exactly. to this. I'm interested to hear what you've got to say about this. Yeah. So I want to start off by, by pointing out that imagination is not the same as fantasy. And, you know, fantasy is fun. You can just dream up all kinds of things. Oh, if only it were like this. That's fantasy. Imagination's a little bit different. If, if you're going to make a statement like that in your imagination, if only it were like this, it's going to be more like, what if it's like this? That you're, you're going to consider it. You're gonna, now you're going you're gonna to do more than just you know, paint a fictional picture. You're going to go, well, if this were the case, what would it have to be? And, and what else would I need to know? And, and what else would be going on? So you gotta, you gotta go past merely dreaming. And I mean, dreaming's fun and it's, it's, uh, it can be stress relieving. And, but dreaming doesn't get you very far. You gotta, you gotta up it a notch. And imagination requires a little more engagement. It means that you gotta get involved with the ideas that, that you come up with and you gotta and you gotta try and take them further and the thing about imagination is there's no guarantee in other words you might imagine something that that you want to pursue and it's a dead end it doesn't go anywhere and you got to be okay with that because you know if you're gonna get if you're gonna get bummed out every time you come up with an idea that doesn't that doesn't work out you're gonna stop coming up with ideas it, it it'll become too painful for you so you gotta it's got to be built into your approach to this that when I have imagination sometimes it comes true sometimes it doesn't sometimes it leads to the next thing and that's that's all fine it doesn't matter which outcome you get but I I, I want to go back to something that we talked about um, back in episode 14 and the title of that was Don't Seek Results, Ask Questions. And I'm going to tell you something that sounds like it might, that it might argue with that. I'm going to tell you to pick an objective rather than a method or a protocol when you're using imagination. Now, the reason that's different than this notion of seeking results, seeking a specific result is, you know, that's very specific. But having an objective is a little, it's, it's a little more general. You know, it's, you're, you, I'm talking about pick the vicinity that you're headed toward. Not that, you know, we need this test to come out this way, but rather we're seeking, we're seeking a certain kind of result. Not, not a specific result, but, you know, something, I, I want to get something out of this where this is going to be, you know, uh, I mean, what's a what's an example? This is going to be more fireproof, you know, <laughs> something very you know not specific to what y'all normally do. I like to think that most uh, biology doesn't have to worry about being fireproof, but <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with seeking that as a general objective. Now, if you're make if you're seeking in an experiment that this experiment must come out that this is more fireproof, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean that you're seeking something. That you're lo you're still looking 
you're, you're not seeking something specific. You're still looking for something more general. You've got your eyes open. You're, you're open-minded about it. And it doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to work out a certain way. You don't have to get there by a certain path. And, and a lot of times your imagination won't be about the end point. It'll be about how you get to the end point. So, again, this is how you know it's different from fantasy. Because fantasy, you just dream that it works out. But in imagination, you're going, how am I going to make it work out? What, how's this going to get done? What, what am I trying to accomplish here? And so it involves, it involves mental engagement and, I, and, and it involves intellectual engagement. You know, there's nothing about this, this is, that is just, oh, I want a pony and a rainbow. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're really engaging yourself. It's quite interesting, actually, when you think about it as a, in terms of uh, being a professional scientist, that a lot of times people jump to that idea of imagination as being a thing that is kind of a rainbows and unicorns thing, or it's not, it's not rational thinking. And so um, why, you know, it kind of is downplayed a bit. But actually, when you think about what imagination, rather than fantasizing, actually is, it's, it's, it's the genesis of ideas. And so actually being a scientist requires a lot of imagination. You need to imagine, imagine the, um, the design of an experiment before you can set it up. You can need to examine, you need to imagine, you know, what are the possibilities for the mechanism, you know, for mechanism that you're, the different mechanisms you're um, studying. What are the, or for a mechanism you're studying, you have to uh, imagine the different possible uh mechanisms that are you know you know that are that could be could be what the final answer is so that you have to allow yourself to explore that in your imagination before you can ever make it into an experiment and then translate it into a scientific fact exactly and and if i could add on to what you're you're pointing out there most of you out there you're actually fairly good at this already you wouldn't be where you are if you hadn't already exhibited an affinity for this. And as I mentioned earlier, you're, you're quite fortunate that you have a career where this is even among the possibilities. But don't sell yourself short. If you've gotten to the point you're at right now, if you're actually in a lab, if you've actually got a PhD, shoot, if you got a master's degree, you've already proven that you're good at this. So. So don't, don't sell yourself short. Give yourself a chance to, to keep flowering with it. So you're going to give us some, uh, some ways to supercharge that imagination, so the imaginative <laughs> process, I guess, yes. to, um, to get better results. So, so the results would be what? To be better at coming up with new ideas and, or, or what, what's, what are the benefits that you're thinking? Yeah, yeah, part of it will be giving yourself more sources for new ideas. Part of it will be coming up with better ideas and uh, more engaged ideas, if I could put it that way, that that'll apply to what you're doing. So one of the things that has to start with is your your own outlook. If if it really bothers you that other people shoot at your ideas, you're gonna have a hard time. You gotta steal up a little bit. You gotta you you've gotta be willing to extend yourself and not take it personal. And remember, these ideas, they're, they're just ideas. They aren't you, they don't represent who you are. And, and uh, 
Here's an interesting little little experiment we can do. You know, we all have thoughts, right? Thoughts come into our head all day long. All day long there's this chatter going on in your head. Well, that's that is where imagination will take place. Now, a lot of that chatter may be the same old, same old, same old, same old. <laughs> um, so you got to get that part to quiet down a little bit so you can hear other things. But notice the way I'm putting that, that you have to hear them. We like to think that we think up our thoughts, but that's not particularly true. In fact, most thoughts that come into our head, we didn't have any idea they were going to arrive there until they arrived. Thoughts are things that we hear. We think our brain is creating thoughts. No, our brain is receiving thoughts. It's more like a radio than a transmitter. Well, I can transmit also, but you know, when it comes to these thoughts, they're for the most part just wandering on by. And we've all had that experience. We've had a hunch about something that just something just popped into our head. You're like, where did that come from? Well, it just came from us being open to hearing it. So, so realize that if you just give yourself a moment, you can get all kinds of great ideas. And the inputs will keep coming. And they'll come from all over the place. Now, part of that, you can direct. So, you know, for instance, there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, reading a new paper or, or uh, you know, a journal in, in your field to, to get ideas. That, that's, that's a great idea. That's, that, that's a great thought. It, it'll, it'll help you get inputs. But often, you can get inputs from unrelated sources. And I would, I would uh, recommend to you that you broaden your interests because you'd be surprised where you will find things that will then apply to what you do at the bench in the lab. You know, you might realize something in, when you're in the kitchen and, and cooking, using a cookbook and go, wow, you know what, I could use, I could use this technique or that reminds me of something that I can do back in the lab. It might be it might be something else. You might be listening to some music. You might be working on your car. You might be cutting your grass. You you know you might be folding laundry. You might be reading a novel. You, it it could be any number of things. Don't structure yourself in such a way that everything has to be. The only thing that I apply here at work is the, are the things that are apply here at work. Because that's, that's just not how life works. We get ideas from all over the place. Interesting sort of couple of uh, observations on that from my personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, I guess most people listening to this will have experienced the first one. And that is that one way to get really inspired for ideas and things is to go to a conference. Because when you see what other people are doing, uh, you know, in your field and so on, that'll feed into your idea, uh, you, you know, feed into your imagination and you'll come away with tons of ideas and just allow that to happen. That's a great thing because then you go back not only inspired, but you have different viewpoints and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and also in my kind of technical career, I was lucky enough to work in two different environments that were really inspiring. One was where I was uh, working with uh, in, in, a, in a company, so I was a biologist and, and I was working in a company where the team can, included engineers and computer scientists and so on. And it was really inspiring to see, it was really fertile for, um, you know, for ideas to 
speak to work with those people who have a completely different approaches to um, to the same problem. Um, you know, the, the way that an engineer thinks is completely different from the way that a biologist thinks. Oh, ain't that the truth? <laughs> um, but when you put them both together, that's really um, quite so really quite an amazing uh, experience. And the same, another company I worked in, it was biologists and chemists. And again, the way that those two sets of scientists think is really different. And um, I, and I, I, I find it really good for my, not only my, pers- my professional development, but just my personal development to realize that st- being stuck in one mode of thinking is quite restrictive. And to open yourself up to other modes of thinking is a, is a great thing to do. Right. And from, from the outside in, you know, I, I'm, as I've stated many times, I'm not a scientist, you know, computer scientist, if I'm going to go that far. But um, for those of us over here on our side of this, looking at y'all, chemist and a biologist, it's just another scientist does. We don't even realize there's a difference. And of course, you know, there's a vast difference. And so take advantage of those differences. You know, recognize that there's something, there's another way to see the world. Everything we're doing is through perspective. And our perspective is has been honed and, and schooled. And especially for somebody who gets to a high level of education, they've been very pathed into a particular perspective. And, and I'm sure you know people like that, that, that have taken a they they take a certain view of the field and they just can't break out of it yeah i i think it's just as valuable to i i would suspect that there are a lot of people listening to this who don't realize that biologists and chemists think differently because they don't really? realize that, <laughs> that well because they because they've worked with biologists all of their lives mm. and 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 until you're exposed to that i mean the chemists that i started working with were surprised at the way biologists thought it's it's just two different approaches to the same problem. And unless you expose yourself to the other side, you probably don't even know how restrictive your own mindset is. Sure. Um, and, and it's just been taught, it's not a bad thing. It's just, a, it's a mode of thinking. Um, and it's to get yourself exposed to other ones is a really valuable thing to do, whether that's oh, yes. through doing a course. I find myself when I was working with chemists, doing online ke- or listening to chemistry lectures online and stuff, so that you could you could get into that way of thinking, and um, you know, so that was another way to do it. Um, I, I just think whatever you can do to to soften up your um, your thought processes and and just look at things from as many different angles as possible is a good thing. Absolutely. So I want to go back to something that you said earlier. You know, you talked about the value of going to conferences because again, that gets you rubbing shoulders with other people who have other that are doing other thinking, but. It's sometimes getting out of the lab is what it is. It isn't even. It doesn't even matter what it is too. And for instance, in in the years I've worked with Nick, something that I have I have I've noted over and over again, when Nick goes on vacation, he comes back with a lot of ideas, <laughs> and it has happened over and over again. And to the point where I practically have to steal myself for when he returns because, oh, my goodness, the floodgates will have opened. You know, so give yourself a chance sometimes to remove all the inputs. Don't don't listen to anything or anybody. Just let your mind be silent for a minute and see what wanders into view. And, and you may get 
fascinating ideas. So I, I wanna I wanna point to something very specific about this, and uh, and I and I wanna reference an old book written in the 1930s, but it's a it's a seminal work. It's it's the greatest self-help book for, by sales ever. It's called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Now, I realize this may not be everybody's cup of tea, but, but, but bear with me for a minute and hear me out on this. Napoleon Hill, he went and he interviewed all of the, the most successful industrialists of his time, you know, men like Andrew Carnegie. Um, and once he got access to one, he got access to the rest. So he got a chance to talk to all these, these very successful people. And when I say successful, I mean in, in terms of, you know, they made a lot of money and, and they built big companies and things like that. I realize success can be measured in many ways. But, but you know, they were, they were unique and remarkable people who had accomplished big things. But he started to see patterns in what they did. You know, he, he interviewed um, also Thomas Edison, uh, just to give you an idea of the, the kind of people that he went after. But he found that there were patterns of things that people did. And one of the things they did was visualization. And we've all heard of the idea of visualizing things. So, you know, if you visualize your, your uh, experiment coming out properly, that is, you know, that the experiment won't fail, not that it gets a certain result. If you do that visualization, you often can head off problems or you can often see opportunities to improve things just by thinking about it, just by, by visualizing how it would work. So certain people that he interviewed had some very specific ways of doing visualizations. And some of them had had, had remarkable visualizations that came from just from dreams and I'm not telling you that to you know that you should be dissecting your dreams I'm talking about dreams that that don't need to be uh, translated I'm talking about things that they realized in a dream and they woke up and went oh that's a good idea for instance the guy that invented the electric sewing machine his name was Elias Howe and he had a dream where he had been captured by cannibals and had been put in a, in a, a boiling cauldron. And he, when he tried to get out, they kept stopping him by spears that were going up and down and they had a hole in the, in the end of the spear. Now, if any of you uh, had a mother like I did, who did a lot of sewing and had a sewing machine, you know that, that a needle that you use by hand has a hole uh, on the far end from the pointy end of the needle. But the needles on a sewing machine, the hole is near the point. And that was what he saw in his dream. And he woke up with that realization and goes, that's the, that's the solution to my problem. And that's how he was able to, to invent the sewing machine. You know, and that was a critical factor that, that is still present in sewing machines today. Now, in his case, uh, this is just, he just happened to, you know, have a dream and think of that. But Thomas Edison would go out of his way. He would literally take naps so that he could dream. So he would have a problem in mind that he couldn't come up with a solution to. So he would go take a nap. <laughs> I 
And by the way, I can really recommend naps. They're, they're, they're very useful for all kinds of purposes. And I realize that may not be possible when you're at the lab, but uh, there, are other, there are other times maybe it is. But set yourself up, you know, if you're going to, you know, a lot of times people, they can't sleep because of their thoughts. What if when you're trying to go to sleep, you go, you know what, I need to go to sleep because um, when I sleep, maybe I'll come up with an idea here. So you give yourself permission to go to sleep then, and maybe you do come up with an idea. And so it's just an interesting way of going about doing visualization. Like what you're hearing? Ready to supercharge your scientific career? Discover practical advice on what it takes to be a successful scientist without sacrificing happiness. Learn the importance of meeting your human needs, identifying and unlocking your charisma factors, discovering your core mindsets, and much more. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack and get started on your journey to becoming a happier scientist today. Subscribe now and check the show notes to download. Now, all of this stuff, everything we've pretty much talked about up till now, can be pretty private. You don't have to tell anybody you're doing it because if you're worried that oh, people are going to think I'm nuts, that I'm, that I'm taking a nap to get an idea, you know, well, fine, don't engage them in that. <laughs> You don't have to involve other people in this. You don't have to get other people's permission or their approval or any of the rest of it. However, sometimes it is a good idea to get other people involved. And if you, especially if you have a, you know, a, a really big problem that, that you're trying to, to overcome and maybe it's not just you, maybe it's your whole group is trying to overcome, it's a good idea to come together. And it's a good idea to brainstorm. And brainstorming... Um, it, again, everybody probably thinks, oh, I know what brainstorming is. Man, maybe you do, maybe you don't. <laughs> the idea of brainstorming in a group is getting people together and, and having them give each other ideas to trigger them to things. So you, you've got to create an environment where there's no rules, where anything can be done, where there are no bad ideas. Everything is on the table. And, and so... You know, there has to be rules to stop people from bad-mouthing somebody's idea. So somebody says something, you know, I got this crazy idea. What if we did this? And somebody goes, that's stupid. No, you can't have that. Because it stifles people. It stops them. Let people say whatever and see what it triggers. And often it isn't the what they bring up that matters. It's what the next person brings up. So that thing that is stupid triggers something that isn't stupid. So you got to give it a chance. And it made me think of uh, the, the movie Apollo 13 with, with Tom Hanks, which was really a great movie, I think. Uh, and, of course, Apollo 13 is, is the, the flight that really went bad, where they were trying to go to the moon, but, they, but, but something went wrong on the craft, and, and they barely made it back alive. But they somehow did. And at one point, a problem they were having was that there was too much carbon dioxide being exhaled by the astronauts into their own atmosphere. And so they were starting to have some real problems and it was gonna kill them if they didn't do something about it. And so back at NASA, one of the, the, the number of scientists got together, one of them took a box and dumped it out on the table and says, these are the things that are available on the craft that we can work with. We need to make a CO2 scrubber. And it was, you know, some tubes and some, some 
you know, some, some netting and so, you know, whatever, whatever it was, but just a pile of stuff. And that was their brainstorming session. Here's what we got. What are we going to do with it? And, and they figured it out. And yeah, I mean, that's a real life story. And that's, you want to talk about science that has to be done on the fly. I mean, these, these guys were about to die. They had to do something now and they got it done. And, you know, it really was, it was an amazing thing. And uh, I imagine, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here on this, Nick, but, uh, you know, being biologists, you deal with living things. And, and it really does matter how quickly you do things. There, there are times when if you don't get something done in a certain time frame, things die. So would that be a correct way of assessing things? Sure. Uh, but I guess that then that's going to be in a planned protocol, though, I would have said. Okay. Um, so it's not there's not there's no life saving uh, scenario there. Oh well, that, that's heartening. I guess that takes a little pressure off y'all. <laughs> but what, one thing that is interesting though is that uh, from what you were saying is, you know, you're talking about these ideas of visualization and so on, and I used to think of that as being quite woo woo, quite you know, well if you visualize then you're you know, it's somehow. You know, you're trying to magic something to happen because you imagined it. And it's not that at all. It's just taking your brain through the motions. You know, right. and uh, you know, if you um, you sports, you hear sports people doing it all the time, where they'll just go run through their routine for whatever it is they do, and they just run it over and over and over again until the brain becomes used to that um, that pathway and just right. uh, and just you know just follows it and it's the same here all, all you're doing is you're running through your what how you imagine this the experiment could go or or whatever or how the talk could go you know you're doing a presentation or whatever and you get your brain literally used to that scenario or immersed in that scenario so that it can come up with ideas or develop a habit or or, or whatever you need for that situation sure it's there's, there's one <laughs> there's one well-known account of that um, that had to do with uh, a man named Jim Thorpe, who was uh, an Olympic athlete, who uh, was on the American team and was uh, was at the the last Olympics that were held in Germany right before World War II, and um, <clears throat> as at that time to get to Europe, you took a boat. You know they they were sailing over, so he's sailing over with a bunch of Olympic athletes, and they're all on deck, and they're exercising and doing what they do for whatever their field is and now he was a he ran the decathlon so he did a lot of different things but he was always just sitting there in a deck chair and people are like why aren't you exercising why aren't you why aren't you working out you know and he says i am in my mind and he was playing through in his mind each of his each of his events and he went to went to munich and he was you know he, he won over and over and over again. He was he was very, very successful. And you might think, well, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, your body's got to be involved in this. Yes and no, your mind has to be involved too. And we do have, now we are aware that it's we have not just a conscious mind, but a subconscious mind. Well, if you can engage your subconscious mind, that's where all these ideas are going to pop into. You're going to, you're going to connect with them there. Now, I've got another link that'll be in the show notes here. And it, it talks about a specific technique that Napoleon Hill talked about in Think and Grow Rich. And it's, it's basically to create an imaginary council. 
So imagine you could have the best counselors in human history or even beyond human history. They could be fictional people. And you can choose to have them as counselors. So imagine you assemble a council that that's, you know, got whoever you want. It's got Aristotle and it's 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 got, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody. It's got Superman, you know. <laughs> it can be anything you want. And where you can you can have a conversation with them and get answers to things. And it is shockingly effective. And so I've got another link to something that's that, that's entitled Tap into the Power of the Subconscious Mind with Visualization. And it will show you exactly how to do that. According to the protocol that that uh, Napoleon Hill came up with, which he got from people like Thomas Edison and Andrew Carnegie and, and others. So um, it, it's a long, long, long time tested method. And I've used it myself for many years. And I and it's morphed over time. You know, I've changed out counselors over time. Because, you know, what applies in a certain circumstance, you know, maybe right now I'd be better off with, you know, with Francis Crick than, than Mohandas Gandhi. You know, <laughs> whatever I want to do, you know, and it, it's all open season. It's just, it's all your own imagination. So you get to play with it as far as you want to. And if, if you think about some of the people that we think of in life as being very imaginative, like Henry Ford or Walt Disney, they created amazing things. Now, and I, will, and I will openly grant you that they, those two people are, as an example, were very flawed characters as far as, you know, who they were personally. But this goes to show, you don't have to be perfect. You could be kind of a wreck of a human being and still succeed at this. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there for you to come up with, with all kinds of new ideas, to really have some imagination, to go beyond just I wish it were better. I, I wish the laws of physics were different, you know, to wait a minute, I got an idea. <laughs> and you're the, having eureka moments on a regular basis is you want to talk about an endorphin rush, man, it's the way to go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that, uh, the book that you talked about, Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. it's an interesting one because I, as far as I understand <clears throat> it anyway, that it, it's not about just it's not about just the becoming financially rich oh that's a good point it's yeah. actually about you know being rich in ideas and success or success as a scientist yeah, rich or, or whatever, whatever you want and it's mm -hmm. about using it's about it's quite a read actually um but it's a, it's about diff, different ways to harness your um your imagination to to open up possibilities for yourself i would say yeah. Yeah, that is a very good point. This is not a book about money, although it could be applied to that if that's if that motivates you. But yeah, whatever it is that you feel makes life rich, this applies. And what's interesting about it, it's an easy read, you know, and it's it's very um, it's very quaint in its language, you know, written in the 1930s. It's got a certain voice to it. So um, it again, it, that it's just another way of realizing oh they, he looked at the world quite a bit different than the way we look at the world today it's it's pretty interesting that's the interesting thing what i think about books like that is that it might not be your cup of tea but it's like going and working with uh, engineers for a while you're you're getting into the brain of someone who an insight into the brain of someone who's looking at the world in a different way from you and so even if you only take one one idea from it or one 
improvement in viewpoint or something like that from it, that's worth it. It doesn't have to be that you completely take on board the whole thing and follow it as he does, as he suggests. It just layers on an idea that you can then use to, or some ideas that you can then use or not use, depending on, on what you think of them. Yeah, indeed. And there's a lot of ideas in that book. It's not just the visualization thing. He, he really, he's got a lot of concepts that he wants to get across. And what's, what's interesting about this, is this is not, um, you know, this is not the devil's Bible, you know, kind of thing where you go, oh, I can't read that. That just flies in the face of everything I believe in. Well, it's not like that. And in fact, a lot of the things that we recommend on this channel, I mean, they might be podcasts, they might be books. Yeah, they're, they're a little far afield from what you're used to. But believe me, they can still they can still dovetail in just fine. And, and there's so much to be gained by having another perspective. And you don't have to totally change your view of the world here, but to, to just open your mind up a little bit to, you know, there is a different view of the world is very useful. Yep, definitely. And getting as many of those different viewpoints as you can is, is really useful. Yeah. All right. Well, that's about all I've got for today, Nick. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, just the usual housekeeping stuff that uh, if you want to, do we have anything in the show notes of interest today, Ken? Well, uh, the, yeah, the link to Thinking You're Rich, the link to tap into the power of the subconscious mind with visualization. That's a, It's a short read and a little video if you want to watch that. It's it's really useful. And then I'll remind you to go back to episode 14 of Don't Seek Results, Ask Questions to hear a little different perspective on this. <laughs> Very nice summary. That's that's taking away half of my job there, Ken. So, <laughs> so if you want to see those um, show notes, you go to uh, bitesizebio.com forward slash the happy scientist and you go to episode 33 how to foster imagination and you'll find the show notes right there uh you can also find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash the happy scientist club and remember that if you've not done so already go back and listen to episodes one to nine of this podcast if you haven't done that already then and you and you um you found this material interesting. I th episodes one to nine contain some stuff that you might find very uh, interesting for your foundational development. And I think that's a wrap for today, Ken. So again, thank you for imagining this uh, episode. <laughs> thank you. And we'll see you all next time. scientist is brought to you by bite size bio your mentor in the lab bite size bio features thousands of articles and webinars contributed by hundreds of phd scientists and scientific companies who freely offer their hard-won wisdom and solutions to the bite size bio community Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep learning practical tips on being a happy and successful scientist, don't wait any longer. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack today. And together, let's reignite that passion for science that first got you into the lab. Remember, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button now and check the show notes to download.